And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've made enough, I made a bunch of changes and I want to deploy them now. So you're like, cool, I'll just increment my version number according to these rules. Like, are all the changes I made just like are minor small, bug fixes? Or big, small? or incredibly profound. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you change the number accordingly, right? That's what we ask ourselves every Wednesday morning. Yeah. What have Where I done we? this week? Was it small, big, <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. incredible? Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 246. Ooh, Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Dev Comedy Podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web's programmer. I'm Sam, and I art. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 10th, 20. Blandy. Before we get started, just know that there will be swears in this podcast. Explicit warning. It's going to be awesome. We would like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got a couple of, a couple of donors. Chris Gambrell says, to be completely honest, I buy all of your games, but I don't play them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to feel about Please that, Please don't Chris. be sad. I'm here for the comedy, life tips, and tech talk. Enjoy the money and keep up the great work. Okay. I, I hope you're leaving reviews for these games you're not playing. He's like, that's even better. if I played yeah. it, it'd be amazing. Five stars. <laughs> Because otherwise, if you're not leaving a review, then maybe you might as well just like pay us through, through Ko-Fi. Mm, well, he did, so dead. we're good now. That's I think he point. figured it out, and now he's yeah, on the he's on the coffee on the coffee the train. train. Uh, we also got a donation from Satellite, who says, "Bros, thanks for another year of podcast wisdom, nonsense, and hilarity. It's one of the podcasts I look forward to every week. Best of luck in 2020." Well, that wisdom you. nonsense combo is uh, pretty. You got to keep them in equal proportion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret mm-hmm. sauce. Uh, we also have recurring supporters who we would like to thank as well. Let's talk about life. What about it, Seth? Smooth. Smoothies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about them. That's, that's triggering a memory for me of this past Saturday. <laughs> Weird. It's, it's, it's almost as if we thought we planned oh. this. <laughs> this past Saturday, I went lifting for the first time since hurting my back. Uh, aside from the time right afterwards where I deadlift and stuff, because that was a bad idea. So mm-hmm. first uh, appropriate lift. And afterwards, I was like, I'm feeling a little crisped. I need a smooth E in my mouth right That's now. Right. right, You got to get uh, that in there. And so I went to Smoothie King, which is the king of smoothies. So it's where you got to go. And yeah. you bowed before him. I bowed before and him said- and he... <laughs> please, <laughs> please, Lord, please bequeath upon me a strawberry banana gladiator smoothie of medium size. Oh, the gladiator smoothie. That's what it says. And so, uh, the smoothie king did as I requested, which was surprising given his status as yep. royalty. But uh, nice. I got the smoothie, and then as I was walking out of the shop, so this this father comes walking in. He holds open the door for this toddler who is hilarious and wearing a giant parka who comes sort of like teetering in, toddling in, mm-hmm. um, rounds the corner really fast. And I'm like, this is cute. But I'm kind of far away from the door at this point, right? So I'm, I'm walking toward it, but I'm far away. Okay. And this man disengages from the door. So it is now closing and he's moving inward. And then as I'm approaching the door, but again, still far away, he for some reason dives back to it to open it for me. <laughs> okay. Oh. Which would have been nice, except now I'm hurried because I'm like, oh, God, I need oh, to get no. through this door really fast. So I start going really fast through this door, and then he lets go of it and goes back because his daughter's running away. <laughs> and so he lets go of it. I'm holding the smoothie right up to my chest. Uh-huh. The door just smashes it. It <laughs> <laughs> just shoots strawberry banana gladiator protein all over my coat and my pants and my legs. And 
It's like slopped on the ground. And it made an audible noise both when the cup, like the lid of the cup popped and then when it hit the floor. And Wait, I, what hit the floor? Just the just parts of the smoothie that the, got vomited the liquid. out from the compression. But the lids was still on there somehow. I don't know how it, what magic <laughs> happened. And so I just like, I slammed by the door and stepped forward outside. And then I was like, I need to leave. <laughs> I need to leave immediately. I didn't look back. I didn't, I didn't want to know if anybody heard the noise. Or something. So I just ran across the street to my car and sat there. Then looked... And sort of assess the damages, uh, and then just enjoyed the smoothie. <laughs> the rest of the you, you just nodded. You're like, mm-hmm. yep. yep. <laughs> the trap. Time, <laughs> time to start sipping. Time to get yeah. my sip on with so, the rest of my smoothie. The treachery. The smoothie king brought treachery upon the family. <laughs> I thought I was getting out clean. I think. Well, I think you just thought you were the jester. It was yeah, nice of you. <laughs> it was nice of you because here's the thing. That guy. Totally just smashed your smoothie. 100%. 100%. If he had not done that, then you'd be fine. But also, he did it out of attempting to do a good thing. thing, Because Midwestern people try to hold doors for you aggressively, right? So you might be 30 yards away. And if they haven't been coming out, if they make eyes with you, if you make eye contact, they will hold the door open. And now you have to hurry because it's your problem now. Because we're in the Midwest and – now, now it's your turn to be polite, mm-hmm. which is you don't want to waste their time. So you got like five seconds to get through that door, even if you're 100 yards away. Right. Yeah. And so that's one of these situations. Why a lot of good football players come from the Midwest. 40-yard <laughs> dash time. Is- <laughs> get in there. Yeah. So, uh, he was, I mean, I appreciated his maneuver. I don't know why he just left. You know, I assume that daughter was probably running into a chair or something or about to collide with something. Yeah, she probably. Was, she was toddling. As I understand, mad. toddlers are always three seconds away from death. <laughs> yeah. They're trying. Wasn't there that game where you play as a baby <laughs> and you try to die? Yeah. And yeah. Somebody else plays the dad and yep. they try to <laughs> baby-proof the house in yep. real time. <laughs> so the baby, like, climbs into the oven and turns it on and you have to go find it and, like, oh, block it. Yeah, and then there's, yeah. like, cleaning supplies in the cupboards mm-hmm. and all kinds of shit it's that's a, a great that's a great game to watch on uh, on youtube yeah. <laughs> okay that's my smoothie story now we got some uh, other you got some other food tips it's food week here on it's like shark uh, week but uh you know there's it's food food week. and it only has one day yeah food day food day uh, uh so our next segment <laughs> is called cheese tips with adam <laughs> 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 That's a sick uh, saxophone. I see. It's mostly, it's mostly, I just wanted to make sure that, that all of our listeners know. I, I don't know how much any of our listeners care about cheese, but if you like cheese, well, they're a about bit, to care a lot. Even if you like it a little bit, you got to let that shit warm up first. Because mm, you, you yeah. normally just eat it but right the out cheese. of the, fridge, you know, the cheese. Let the, the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> specifically. Yeah, specifically well, the cheese. When you say let it warm up, let it, let it warm up to room temperature. Because there's cheese that's only good melted. Like your, this is like your cheese that's on, you know, your, your uh, toasted things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But there's cheese that you want to eat on crackers or by itself or with fruit or whatever, like the good cheese, right? Uh, but even if it's actually kind of medium, if you just let it warm up to room temperature and then eat it, I guarantee mm. you it's five times as Five times because most of the potency of the cheese is actually locked behind the coldness. Yes, it's yeah. frozen in pl- all of your scent, mm-hmm. all of your like foot smell molecules. You know all those, you those all bad boys. Let those bad boys warm yeah. up. Let those out. Why do you think your feet smell so bad after being in hot shoes all day? Exactly. You got to treat your cheese like your feet. Exactly. So you got to freeze your feet and heat your cheese. <laughs> yep. Yep. As they say, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. Cheese tips with Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Let that cheese warm up. All right. Now, you can also – you can tell. This is the end of the day podcast, by the way. That's why this is – Yeah, we're, we're real fucked up. <laughs> now, you can tell that we're all fast approaching middle age mm-hmm. because we're all getting injured. 
Yep. All the time. Uh, Adam's whole body exploded. Sam's yeah. back exploded. Yep. Sure's back exploded. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Just this weekend. Sure. Oh, no, sh- last Thursday or Wednesday or something. Yep. Sure went to the gym and he was like, it's time. And he did some kettlebell swings. Immediately, his back just shot out mm-hmm. of his torso. <laughs> and he is working with a trainer, so he apparently wasn't doing it correctly. He was doing he it was right. Just so, he was just so powerful in this moment that he blew off part of the back. Yeah. Now, this is his, the problem. His muscles were stronger than his tendon. Tendons. I don't know how it works. Tendons, I'm not going to pretend to how it works. But his yeah. back exploded. So, his back. so he, he's, he's getting around with a cane today. <laughs> uh, we're just really falling apart here. My favorite part, though, is that for some reason lent an extra edge of wisdom to the things he was saying this morning. We'd yes. be having as, a conversation. As he hobbled into I, the room. Just, I need to sit down and listen yeah, to this. Sure, would, he would cane his way over and be like, listen, I got something to say. We're all like, oh, shit. Oh, God. He speaks. <laughs> here it comes. He speaks. It's like having Yoda in the office. It is. Yeah. Uh, all right, now let's talk about what's happening just kind of in the in the studio. What's happening? Sam, you're going to DICE, and by the yep. time this podcast comes out, you will have gone to DICE and come back yep. and yep. been back for for several days. Yep. Uh, so this is an interesting time warp. Well, let's talk about <laughs> DICE. Yeah. You've bon- you've bond in the I've past. I've to DICE <laughs> in the past. Yes. Uh, I've gone two times before, two or three times. The first time we went was when Crashlands was nominated for the Mobile Game of the Year award, which we somehow d- uh, lost to Pokemon Go, which I'm I'm still still haven't I'm completely that. baffled yeah. by. I haven't yeah, heard of could, it in the past. I don't know, you know where it went. I some guess, underdog whatever. game like Pokemon Go just swoops in. Whatever yeah. the artsy fartsy ones, who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we went for the first time with there, and I actually didn't even know it was a thing uh, until we were nominated for an award there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically what it is. It's actually. It's mainly uh, like a lot of publishers, a lot of C-suite people at um, bigger studios as well as they've been they've been getting a few more indies in there um, past couple of years. But usually it's through the invitations of the Dice Awards themselves. Um, and so it, I've enjoyed a ton because it's it's these it's there's no press, there's no like people tweeting and stuff. And so it's, it feels Nobody's very much selling you ad services. Exactly, it actually feels very similar to Pax Dev, mm-hmm. um, except most of the people you meet are the studio heads instead of necessarily just uh, the devs who work on the games. Yep. And so uh, I love it because, one, it, it helps us, I think, get a, another sort of – just another lens on where the industry is at. And it's right before GDC, which is super interesting because GDC is always enlightening because we talk to all of our dev buddies. But they tend to be people who are uh, like our peers, right? So people who are doing stuff similar to us, working at mobile, whatever. Um, and DICE is really fun because you get to talk to people who are doing whole – like just whole other things like you know Borderlands or – all sorts of crazy we get stuff. to talk to our superiors. Yeah, that's, that's the easier way to put it. People are better than us at everything. So um, I love it because, uh, you know, you can just mind these people for all sorts of like whiz nugs about stuff and where the industry's going, where they think their stuff are going. Because usually half they're of doing them are drunk. So yeah, you can, well, get a lot, you can yeah. just really get a lot of info out of them. The other half just aren't drunk yet. Yeah. yeah. And, they <laughs> and they do these really fun, they do workshops and roundtables. And so the workshop will be led by someone like from a studio that, you know, like, oh, this person who made Doom is hosting this round table and then people just sit down and you talk about some specific design thing um, and you come to find out like the person next to you made this game. And so it's it's a really cool, um, it's a really high leverage thing in terms of just meeting the people who are very much doing a lot of the bigger things inside of the industry, which I feel like is useful for us. And on top of that, we of course have meetings during it. So mainly I'm meeting with people most of the time. Yeah, um, all of our, all of our people. All of our people who go. So not everybody goes, but um, got a few of our, a few of our peeps to chat with and just kind of schmooze a little bit. So get some of that FaceTime, you know? One thing, yeah, we've discovered that uh, the the cruising for a schmoozing is 
actually the most important business activity uh, that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We th- used to think that making games was the most important thing. Uh, it's all right. You know, that one's all right. Yeah. It's it's a prerequisite because you got to have something to schmooze about. Yeah. But once you got it, it's schmooze Oh, it's schmoozing time. time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited to be schmoozing all week. Um, but it's actually very tiring. So it sounds like it's, of course, just going and talking to people. But I mean, it is. But I mean, uh, it's from like nine until nine. It's just 12 hours of schmoozing. And then I type That's up. too many. Yep. And then I type up some notes or whatever. And then I just pass out and get back up and do it again. And it happens for three days. And so it's kind of a lot, but um, it'll be good. It's always fun. And yeah. then you'll get a nice uh, one month breather. And then it's on to GDC, which is five days of that. Five days of that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do enjoy it, though. It's, it's a fun, it's always fun, but I think, especially in the context where we're at with being pre-launch for Levelhead. There's so much stuff also on the Levelhead cart to like take care of that being gone for a couple of days. I know I'm going to get back and it's going to feel like you guys move forward a month because it always happens mm-hmm. anyways. Um, and so especially right now, it's going to be a lot of movement forward on which these crucial things that we're trying to get all lined up. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be uh, – it feels weird to be to be bouncing right now. But, yeah. um, but that's okay. It's got to be done. Because we got to do the schmooze. The long term. Because the business part is still – what's the part that matters the most. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the difference between – the difference between a successful launch and an unsuccessful launch of the same game is a conversation. It's literally yeah. a conversation or a single email or yeah. whatever. And we've even found this as you know, it's stuff we don't get to go into details about because it's all private, mm-hmm. right? But we've even found this with all of our all of our business arrangements that we have for Levelhead now, is mm-hmm. that it was like it was always like one extra email or yep. one one extra phone call or whatever that made the difference between between uh a really good deal and like an amazing deal yeah. or a bad deal and a good deal yeah. or just not even knowing that or any there was deal. an option. Yeah. Right. yeah so I think exactly, it's, yeah. that's the nice thing about having a wider uh, network as a studio is that you, you, you're on people's radar when they're starting to consider doing some big shaker things in yeah. the industry. Yeah. Right? But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely an uncomfortable thing to think about that. Like you could spend two years, three, five, however many years mm-hmm. working on, the most incredible game uh, the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And if you don't send a certain email to a certain person, then the game at, might be at a certain time, at a certain time, then the game might be half as successful or one tenth yep, or yep. whatever, because, uh, you know, there's, there's key companies and key people in the industry who make, a, who get, who get to make decisions about who sees what and who sees yep. which games and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, if you don't end up in those, like if you don't bring your game to those places, then it's just so much harder, right? Yeah, and it's not the right time too, right? Because because as the industry changes and and all the big companies are trying new things, mm-hmm. being able to be involved with that because your title is ready at the same time yes. as the service is ready or whatever uh, is just a it's an enormous difference in opportunity from. Yeah. Being at say like the life the end of the of the tail of every single console, which is actually where we are right now for consoles. Yeah. Right? we're like we're kind of at the end of this current generation of consoles, and so if you're purely I relying guess kind on of launching in the middle console of Switch title, right now, right? for Switch, yeah, two, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. for I Nintendo for the other two set. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but, well, yeah, but those we're, we're kind of at the end of it, and so and even for Switch though, we're we're basically at the end because that's we're, it's already the the time where you could be successful as a premium indie title on Switch is already passed, right? In yeah. terms of like. Out of the gate. That was the as first in, month. As it was being, exactly. It was a long time. Being, being relatively easy to pull that off yeah, exactly. versus the usual. Versus having, <laughs> having to actually have marketing good market. marketing yeah. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So so the difference between that and then say like having your title on Switch when Switch came out. Right? Yes. 
Exactly. Or even is iOS. It? Like we, yeah. know, we know people yeah. who launched a, just like a simple solitaire game, mm-hmm. you know, in the first couple of months that I that the app store existed. And oh my God, like they were able to just quit their day job and just hang out yep. for six years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you launch a, any simple small game yeah. now and you're now having to try to – you're having to outspend King.com. Well, actually Activision now yeah. uh, on oh, ads. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting right? what they bought. <laughs> yeah. So things, things change. But I, the interesting thing to me is – so I, I studied economics – in mm-hmm. college, and one of the fundamental uh, rules of economics is that you always you always build your economic models around a market with perfect information. Meaning, like mm-hmm. every actor in the market is rational, and essentially the market is a meritocracy, right? right. So, so person A offers up a product, and person B offers up a, a, a similar product, and then like everybody knows that they're the same, and so then people just decide based one. on price, yeah. right? And if they cost the same, then the people will choose the one that's higher quality. And what the model never takes into account is, is Reality. what if people just don't know about thing B? What if it's just like yep. – because things only exist if you're to you if you're aware of them. Mm-hmm. And so the concept of a – I don't know. It's it's one of those like romanticized things when you, you feel when you first start uh, going into creative works and you think like if I – If I get good enough. If I get really good and just make incredible things, then like people will see that. Um, And you don't think about the fact that you might have to make them see it. Like you have to (laughs) go and shove it into their faces. Yep. Um, So that's just how it is. Yep. So Sam's going to dice. (laughs) I'm going to go shove it in their faces. (laughs) Go shove it in their faces. (laughs) It's another another term for schmoozing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then otherwise, we are we are going to GDC as well. So that's uh, as we mentioned. So that's yep. going to be next month. It's March sixteen to yeah, twenty. Twenty one. Oh, so it's just your reminder. If you're going to be there, make come sure, make sure you say hello. I think. Well, last year we just had a sort of a random meetup in Yerba Buena Gardens. Yes, we'll put it on the Discord and then Twitter and all that yes, once we'll we have our schedule, which we don't have yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll so, have a smaller crew this time. Yeah, um, and then I'm giving two talks. So if you're – I don't remember where they are at in terms of the summits, but uh, one of them is about DevOps and one is about uh, forgiveness mechanics. So I've yeah. got like basically a, a project management talk and a design talk. So cool. I think well, I think they'll, they'll land pretty good. Mm-hmm. So they're still finalizing them. But we'll see. All right. Now, last thing to talk about hmm. is uh, we talked a lot about project management today and yeah. well – we're going to keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we're just on a kick. All right. You know? So I'll try to kick this off. Kick with it. With a bit of a framing of what's- Yeah, let's summarize the problem. All right. So here's the deal. We use Trello. We use Trello to organize our shit. We do production meetings once a week. And uh, throughout the week, different cards and tasks and ideas and stuff land in the Trello inbox. And we've got a web dev Trello board, which is where Adam mostly lives. And so anytime something's going on with Rumpus, boom, we drop something into the web dev inbox. We've got a level head board. We've got a studio operations board, game pipe board, et cetera, et cetera. And each of us tends to largely live on one board. Mm-hmm. So like Sam and I spend most of our time on the level head board and a little bit of time in the studio board, yep. et cetera. Um, so this system uh, – worked well in the past when we were not sort of like barreling toward a launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we seemed like we had a lot of time and a lot of de- like decision-making power about when things happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're approaching a launch, you have to start really aggressively prioritizing things. Yes. Which and, and a lot more collaboration happens. Well, yeah. and that's the other thing, yeah. So so part of that priori- prioritizing is basically saying – 
I need to get this thing done. And the reason we've been putting it off for so long is because it's a really hard problem. And I'm probably not mm-hmm. going to be able to get it done reasonably quickly unless somebody else comes in and also, you know, throws some gas mm-hmm. on this thing and helps me do it. Um, and so what we found is that as we, as we've been approaching the final days of of uh, Levelhead's early access phase and, and approaching the launch, that we just need to collaborate on pretty much everything. Yeah, like almost everything that happens now is is two or more people being involved. Um, but this creates a problem from a production standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. So so if most of what Adam does is on the web dev board and most of, say, what I do is on the level head board, what happens if we have level head things that relate to the web? Mm-hmm. Where do we go? So instead, what ends up happening is Adam will sometimes have tasks on the level head board. I'll sometimes have them on there. And then we have these collaborative tasks that end up in one of those places, but not both because mm-hmm. then, you, then you'd have two cards. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to being able to, at the end of the production meeting, say, okay, does everybody seem clear in their priorities? You can't actually say yes because you might be collaborating with multiple people from multiple boards as well as have your own sort of solo work going mm-hmm. on. And because they're not vertically stacked. So in other words, you can't see all these things at once. Right. And that's basically where the problem becomes. Yeah, you have, you have then parallel priorities. You have like four things that are all top priority on their own board. And the question is, well, which one do I do now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they're not they're, – they're side by side now. Yep. They're not in a clear order. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we've been running into a bit more it – just, it's just been happening a bit more in the last probably month or so, I would say, um, as we've been getting to this final launch phase. And, and the, the wrinkle with how to fix it is basically trying to figure out how to make use of Trello for what it's really good for without becoming blind because of it on accident. Because the whole idea of Trello is you're supposed to turn every piece of work becomes one card, right? There's like a conference. Yeah, and, and then it moves through stages. It moves through the production pipeline. And then as it gets done, it's done. It's cool. And everyone everybody gets attached to it, whatever else. Um, the, pur- the purpose of having those separate boards is so that we can basically have these sort of domains that we could easily think about in the studio so, okay, if we're on the studio ops board. What needs to be done in studio ops land this week? Um, and so having those having those couple of different siloed domains works really well, provided there's not a ton of crosstalk between all these things. Yeah. Which there is now. It turns out there is. So what we've – I guess we're not actually doing anything yet. We're sort of like stumbling We're going to start experimenting with literally combining – all the boards. As I say it, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if this is a good idea or a terrible idea. <laughs> That's what we're going to do a little bit. Combining little bit all of our boards because we realized that we don't have departments. We have people. Yes. And each person straddles like six different domains. Yeah. Well, right? to me, this is the interesting part of the conversation, which is that it's about agile processes, right? Because yeah. agile is all the rage in software and it's and, it, and we try to – we don't really adopt agile workflows. Like we, we don't do Scrum or you know anything that has a has a name associated with it. But we try to adopt the principles and we try to do things that are, you know, agile-like and we call things sprints and we, mm-hmm. you know, we do all the same kind of stuff. Uh, but it never felt like it was working super well. And the question the question that I always had was, is it because we're not just implementing one of these wholesale? Because a, a lot of what people will say is if you just borrow pieces of a methodology, then you're like – you're destined to failure because right. – Because it's all dependent on the whole. There's a whole co- yeah. you know, cohesive thing. And uh, and so for the longest time, I just thought that that was basically the problem that we weren't mm. just like we just didn't go aggressively enough. But the more that that we've been thinking about it and seeing the consequences of of you know our own processes kind of falling apart, the more I just think it's actually because you can't actually apply the like those methodologies don't work for a highly interdisciplinary team doing multiple projects at once. Yes. So right. like so agile is great for. Uh, for project management. Yeah, for a team working on a project. Yeah. Yeah. 
But if let's say your game programmer needs to write up a contract, then do, <laughs> then do a business deal, yep. then go do some voice mm-hmm. recording. Uh, where does that fall yep. in yeah. terms of the agile? Yeah, because now means that, now when you're prioritizing stuff, you're not prioritizing. Now everybody has to be involved in the discussion about everything, yep. right? Because you actually can't know ahead of time when you're like, okay, that person's work is now allocated, right? Because yep. as, as you continue down all the shit that has to happen, you're like, oh, no, wait, no, hold on, come back. Wait, it's it turns a, out it's a recursion problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and a combinatorial explosion of – because any given thing that has to happen in the studio, there could there's literally any combination of us that are responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Between yeah. – between one to any pair to any three yeah. to you know, and so every now and then we get five people on a card, and that's a that's so always a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so so how are you supposed to plan work around this? This is a, this is a battle that we've had for you know for the whole time, but mm-hmm. but a lot of it's been trying to adapt, or, or just not recognizing just how 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 poorly well developed sort of agile systems. Right. Map onto, map onto something like this. And so even things What do you where, do if you have six people working on six projects with a varying degrees of overlap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't just apply those methodologies. Right. So so we don't actually have a solution. It's just we're, we're, we're sort of more figuring out the problem. And I think a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are solo devs or people on small mm-hmm. dev teams. And so you're basically facing the same problems that we are. And so I think it's important, even if we don't have solutions yet, to, yeah. to try to yeah. articulate when we have, think we have a better but idea. I, but I think a good, a good example would be like, if you do think about it from a solo dev perspective, if you said like, okay, I'm a developer, I'm going to have one Trello board for marketing my game, one Trello board for developing my game, one Trello board for like managing the business mm-hmm. uh, that, I'm, that I'm running, and another Trello board for like web dev stuff. And I'm going to dip into all these different things. Um, the problem there is you now don't really have a, if you look at this board, you might have like two tasks on one board and 15 on another and yeah, 100 again, on another. As far as how this works, for those who aren't familiar with Shelly, you will not be able to see the things on the other boards at the same time. At the same time. Right. Yeah. So in other words, you cannot actually prioritize then the relative importance of like biz dev versus your deployment versus yeah, your Because the fact is that since everything has to go through the people and people can only do one thing at a time, mm-hmm. then it actually has to be a people first organization instead of a project first organization. Right. Um, but you can't. You can't also just discard the project because, of course, at the end – Because it does matter. <laughs> the, the projects are what, are, what you're either yeah. selling or what prop yes. up the studio, right? Yeah. So, so we're, we're working on some new theories here uh, that we have not been able to find any clear-cut answers for yeah. uh, in but, any management books or anything. Yeah, I think it's just – it's an interesting – the small business problem is just a really yeah. – Interesting. And of course, all these other, all these small business owners, they're so fucking busy. They haven't written any books about what they've been doing. So even if and somebody then, I mean, did there must solve be plenty it. out there, right? But most of the small businesses that you that you think of are like it's like restaurants, and and like mm-hmm. that's what you think of when you think of a small business. Uh, you don't usually think of like a a startup that's not trying to go for growth, and because because we're not trying to go for the growth model either. Which is then a different thing because now you start applying people. Once you have a lot of people, now you need an organization. Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you have a team whose job is to make the product. Another team whose job is to market I'd it. I'd say what we're going for is aggressive sustainability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the smallest studio the smallest we can get away with. Yeah. And, and I think the just the problems inherent in that where everybody is in, involved in everything are just ones that are not well articulated or, or well, that have good processes. The general point as with. you grow a business or as, as your business scales in terms of success mm-hmm. is that the whole – oftentimes the whole goal is literally to offload tasks from people to new people, right? Yeah. Our goal is to offload tasks onto robots. Right. But the problem is as we get better at doing our jobs, we actually tend to pick up even more tasks. And right? more robots to maintain. And we make more robots. <laughs> and so we're in this – we're in a weird – I don't even know what to do about it, frankly. 
Um, yeah, if any of our listeners have other books to recommend or something like that, I'm happy to hear about it. Yeah, we'd be happy. Because um, I'm sure that I mean, there's got to be some good thinking about this, something like there this be, out there. I'm just yeah. not sure what it's called. Well, I think it's a hard, but if you think about the the business of of business strategies, right, mm-hmm. where where people come up with these agile methodologies and they sell them to like you sell the idea to software companies and their entire their entire industries around you know best practices for how to do right. certain things. But now think about your market though. If you're trying to if you're trying to figure this problem out for small businesses, right? the market value is way small because it's like, it's like people who can't afford to send a team to your conference that you're because now their whole business shuts down because their whole business shuts down. There's only three of them. (laughs) So, so is that, I think think it actually probably is just an, a a weird segment of, Mm. of business Mm -hmm. that is just going to be under studied and, and they're going to be fewer, uh, sort of well-tested, ideas for how to manage the work and how to manage the personnel. Cause the other thing too is, is a lot of business strategies are also involved around not necessarily making people just like easily replaceable, but around the idea that like people are constantly coming and going and yeah. you need to have, you need to have part of what you do for scale is make sure that you have redundancy so you can replace people. And a lot of what we're doing is investing really heavily in the people that we have mm-hmm. and really heavily kind of assuming they'll be here forever. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is also a very different, yep business model it isn't necessarily a good one. It's something that we might need to mitigate against in some ways, but yeah, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we've, yeah we've been open that about that. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, um, it's a hard thing to do. But yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a different way to think about all these problems. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. So there's a chance that we're going to take all of our Trello boards, merge them into one mega board and the mega board. Try, to, <laughs> and try to come up with some parameters on what that would look like in terms of how we allocate and manage our work and our priorities. We'll report back. Yeah. And also just even how we think about those things. So this, mm-hmm. the, my worry with this is, of course, this is like a putting cream in the coffee situation, which you is like, it once out. you mix <laughs> those things together, that's hard mixed. To mix. They're mixed. We're going to do a small batch mixing. So Adam and Sher are mixing today. Uh, we'll mix? do it at some point. We didn't do it because we you know, had other things Not to do. This week. It doesn't actually for – it. it's the kind of the, the unfortunate part about it is that it actually impacts things like the level head board – kind of the most because there's so much stuff on there and there's actually so much crosstalk between what you guys are doing and the other things, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to merge everything else before we do that one. Yeah. The one place where it matters the most though is actually that one probably. That's correct. And so that now the incentive to do all the other ones is actually lower because it doesn't matter as much. So it's got, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting. (laughs) It's for testing purposes. uh, For testing. It's for testing. (laughs) Interesting production problem. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's all we know. About the studio. It's also why we're partially deranged today. Yes, thinking a lot too much. We spent a lot of time pouring over this. Um, right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. First question. Highest upvoted <laughs> comes from Lucky. You often make cyber tools to solve cyber problems. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of making physical tools to solve physical problems? I cut up a banana box to use as a standing keyboard for a while. Well, that's true. That and then I attached happen. another box to it as a prosthesis for my mouse. And you've got a couple of cinder blocks under your desk to turn it into a standing I, to be desk. Fair, I did <laughs> not make those cinder blocks, though. Um, eh, well, you know, how far back do you want to go? Like, I can't think of a specific. You didn't make the desk either. That's true. That's true. But I can't or think of a keyboard. specific tool that I've made physically recently. But I do know that there have been. Multiple instances, at least in the past like couple of months, I feel like this happens regularly enough. That, like, where you you recognize that you need a tool for something, but you don't have it, and then you, for example, sort of like 
You just sort of make it go yeah, with you go at it sideways. You like MacGyver it with whatever you got on hand, and then it feels amazing after. I don't know if you guys have had this before, but like you do something dumb using sort of what you got on hand. Whether it's yeah, the fact that you did it with such bad tools <laughs> makes it seem even well, this, cooler. Yeah, this weekend I was I got some new blinds for our mm-hmm. for our bedroom because we use blackout blinds on every window. Oh, they're the best. There was an exception though, which is that we have this weird—I don't even know what you call it—like one of those windows that opens like a like a wing, like a oh yeah, like door it just thing, kind of you know? tips in, yeah, or it kind of flips up, I guess in this case yeah. for some reason. So it's, it's like, just it's like hinged at the top. It's hinged at the top, okay. yeah, ah. and it's like and it's above our and we have it. So like it's a hatch. Like, it's like a hatch. Okay, yeah. so it, it's a second floor bedroom but it has like a tiny tiny balcony so there's a door that mm. goes out to this tiny balcony with this like weird opening window mm. above it so because that's really high up there and because there's also like an awning outside so it mostly blocks the light anyway we just didn't bother doing that originally but the problem is that the like there's so much ambient light in cities that it gets like the ceiling is bright as fuck as a consequence there just has been so finally i was like let's get let's just solve this and as i was putting it up suddenly just just one of the because there's like strings on both sides that like that are used to make the thing go mm-hmm. right, and one it just like snapped on one side, so then like one side just like fa- just fell down to its maximum depth, and I was like, the fuck, because now it's now we just have this broken shades, mm-hmm. and I already mounted it, and I was like, okay, but also I never intend to raise these shades again, right, mm-hmm. and so the only way to make this work was to just cut the other side too. And then I had screws in my pocket because there were extra screws. You, you got to have screws in your <laughs> so pocket. Then, cause I, and then, so then I took, the, I took the, the cord that I then cut on the other side, which now I wanted to fall down mm-hmm. to. Uh, but it wasn't falling down to the right distance. Mm-hmm. So then I just wrapped this, what was left of the string around the screw hole. There you go. Times, and then like use it so that it would stop perfectly in the right spot <laughs> on top it. of the hole yes. to then like level out the thing. And I was like, I was like, perfect. Okay, now I don't have to worry about this. Like it doesn't work. This is a broken yeah, fucking so I mean, question. Like, is that, does it count as... Is that a tool? You didn't Listen, make a tool. If a, if a monkey taking a stick and poking it into a termite mound yeah, that's a tool. counts as a tool, yeah. then I am making tools all Constantly. day every day. Tooling. You're tooling. I think there's an enormous difference, though, between me solving cyber problems, as this person put it, mm-hmm. and physical problems, which is mostly because when I'm confronted with a physical problem, I don't want to deal with it. I don't mm-hmm. want to solve it. Because you got to move your limbs and shit. There's all this other. And there's, well, you should have to go places to get stuff. You have to go places to get stuff is the main Ugh, thing. Going places. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> no, no thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so the amount of effort is actually just much higher. And so most of what I do is just whatever I can. It's always whatever I can get away with. It's never. It's uh, unlike unlike my cyber tooling where I'm like, if I have to solve a problem once, I'm like, right. I'll probably have to solve it again. Let me come up with something clever. Mm-hmm. Right. And if then it, test it. Make and sure then test good. it. Right? Maybe fix it up later. Yeah. Knows, if yeah. it's a physical problem, I'm just like, ugh. And then I don't do it for a year. Wrap it around and a screw. I finally do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it in a one-off way that I'd never have to worry about again. Mm. So I don't know. It's a difference of approach. Fascinating. You yeah. I probably could do better at home. I mean, really? well, I, I, I think mean, this depends because sure. I don't, I think this depends on how tight your definition is of like making physical tools. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's there's also something to be said about about being very cognizant, thoughtful is what that word mm-hmm. means. Being very cognizant of your physical space and how it affects you. Mm-hmm. So an easy example is just how it affects things like habit formation and stuff like right. that. So I had been trying to get on this like – probiotics and multivitamin train, especially as I started uh, veg- eating veg- mostly vegetarian, then I'm like, am Make I sure just you- missing mm-hmm. out? Because there's probably good stuff in meat that my body now just doesn't have. And I don't want to just die from that. <laughs> so 
So I thought, well, there's some, probably some stuff in multivitamins. I did a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> Thought about, so, it, thought about it for a minute. Mm. And there and there's it's just such a stupid problem because I've got the multivitamins. I put I had them in the kitchen and then I literally never ate, ate a single mm. one. Right. Are they gummies too? They're gummies even. Oh, How do you resist? That was my physical solution was to get gummies. That's 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 phase one. My problem is not eating from just not eating all the gummies in one go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the hard part. That's once they're super hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So the the easy solution is then to figure out where you do have a routine. Because once I'm in the kitchen, all bets are off. I'm opening doors <laughs> randomly being like, what's in there? Yep. You know, yep. like I got no fucking routine in there. You're crazy uh, man. Though. Yeah. And so I need to move the, the gummies to somewhere that I've got a routine, which is, of course, the bathroom, bathroom. first yep. thing in the morning. Sink. Right? Yep. Yes. So now I've got and, – and then I had to organize things such that, you know, the gummies are like right next to something I'm already doing. You like, know, like tooth, toothpaste. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then like, I grab it. And I'm like, oh, right. The gummies, you know, and then I'll like, <laughs> eat the gummies and then brush my teeth. And then it's, then I'm all good. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to basically, you got to like layer your toothbrush down and then put the gummies on top. Of it. <laughs> so you have to like pull yeah, that off. I, like, yeah. What I do is I take the gummy, I squish it. I put it on my toothbrush. That's what I'm brushing my teeth with. <laughs> Boom. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think wait, uh, understanding. You, oh my God. <laughs> could you make a multivitamin toothpaste that you just eat Ugh. after it's mint flavored? You just fucking don't, just eat it. Don't let Sampada listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> my wife hates every flavor of toothpaste. I don't know. Somehow. I think we just had a breakthrough. We've got to start another company. Yeah. And One time I was brushing my teeth and I started talking to her and she just started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, I'll, I'll get back in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the point being, uh, it's not even just like you don't have to be fancy about it if you got a problem that you need to solve in the mm-hmm. physical world. You just have to understand how the physical world is is doing stuff to you and then just you know, move some shit. Mm-hmm. Just move some shit around. Turn the world into your tools. So yeah, I think it's an important thing about tooling because it's, it's also true for cyber tooling, right? A yeah. tool is just – it's just something that you use to make things better than they were. And so if that's – you make a spreadsheet to keep track of something that you used to just try to keep track of yep. in your brain, uh, that's, a, that's a tool. That's perfectly fine. And even so, if you never look at it again, you're like, it solved that problem. It, it solved you looked at it, you're like, mm-hmm. I got it now. And then yep. you move on with your life. Yeah, and I think physical tools are no different, which is that they can be fancy. Sure. But they can also be just – you just – You just put some gummy vitamins next to uh, Next to your toothbrush. toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. That's a tool, right? I, yeah, totally. Uh, I'm still looking at it. I don't right, see that, why I wouldn't. Next question comes from Devo. How are your patch notes so beautiful and thorough? Do you manage your releases in combination with your Trello cards or Git commits? Or do you have a tool or service to keep track of significant changes? All the above, basically. Yeah. So Adam first started doing this with Rumpus. So talk talk about it. Yeah, talk, so, Adam, talk about why it. Why are patch so, notes a pain in the butt? Patches are a pain because you're because the question is what is it? So what you, you are releasing a patch. What is note? a patch note really? And what is a, <laughs> and what is a release? Those are the two sort of what cores of this, right? Because a patch note is basically you, as you said, I made a change. Here's my description of that change, right? Okay. Except any. It's arbitrary, right? Because you could actually make like a hundred changes and then say like, oh, these are kind of all the same thing. So for so example, just- this weekend, I decided I'm going to completely rebuild Levelhead's input system for fun. So yeah. I did. It took 16 hours. Right. Over the course of that, I made probably 18 Git commits, but I they were all secret because yeah. they were all partial features. Mm-hmm. And then finally at the end, I make a Git commit that actually is the final quote 
change, so which now is that's the patch. The yeah. Right. So the change is now a single literally bullet. rebuilt this entire system. That's the change. Yeah. Right. One thing. But it could have been uh, each step along the way. You could have described like that step, right? That right. thing, and then each one of those could have been a could have been a patch or a patch note, right? Yeah. So so the first thing to just realize is that patch notes are arbitrary. That's mm-hmm. right. They just are. They they have to be. Uh, so you can have some sort of a, you just have to have kind of your own mental system for like, what what is significant enough for me to count as like, this is a change that's, that's worth noting. Um, but now the question is worth noting to, to who, who is the reader right? of the patch note? Because the reader may be yourself in the future, maybe mm-hmm. other developers, QA tester. maybe QA tester, Play. or maybe your downstream players, uh, or, you know, consumers of whatever you're or maybe making. you just want to send it to your grandma and be like, what do you think maybe about you this? want to send it to your grandma? Yeah. So, so now you have to figure out, okay, how do I actually separate out? these like these notes about what I've been doing uh, by these different kinds of consumers of these notes that I'm going to have. And, and then you have a final question, which is now when do people actually get these changes? Right. Mm-hmm. So how do they actually know that things have happened and how do they know all the differences that have accumulated between the last collection of changes they had and this new collection of changes, which is now then the versioning problem. So that's now you actually define sort of you book, you bookend these things and be like this collection of changes, this collection of notes makes up the difference up to this new version, this new mm-hmm. release, right? So that's your collection of problems they have to deal with. The way that we deal with it is using uh, – so that I started doing this in on Rumpus because this is actually a well-described and, and sorted out problem for, for open source projects, especially in web dev. Um, and it's basically converting your commit messages into – change logs just automatically don't even worry about it and the way that they do it is they basically a tell change you change log meaning a patch note yeah change log yeah, they're, yeah. They're basically it's a log of all of your changes gotcha yeah, yeah. yeah and so, a patch note so is more like the change log is the granular stuff the patch note is the slightly higher level stuff well because a patch is, is sort of like you can think of a patch as like a change in version number and then all the things yeah, i would say just changed. just do away with the with the concept of patch patch notes whatever just think about it in terms of changes just changes it's so a list you've, of changes. you've got your change log which is a list of changes that are organized by yep. a patch mm-hmm. that's where a patch is like a change in version basically okay yeah but all these again all these things are arbitrary and so you have to figure out how do you how do you manage these things? So in the <clears throat> in the open source community um they basically have good systems for this and mm-hmm. and those are you have a system for how you version things. So like so that 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 three digit thing that you see where it's like something dot something dot something else, mm-hmm. each one of those each one of those three digits just means something else. So that last one we refer to as the patch. That's like that's for bug fixes and minor things and whatever. Small stuff that doesn't actually change fundamentally. It's good to have, but if you don't, well, yeah. your, your world is And you can kind of manage. move that that number backwards and forwards. It's probably not gonna break anything and it's fine. Um, now that middle number is your minor version. So, so that's usually like 1.2 like, or something. Yeah, 1.2. Yeah. So it's like a big deal. It's, it's, the, 1.2. it's yeah. the 0.2 part of it's that. The point, yeah. Yeah. It's the 0.2 part. So that that's now where you've like added some new features. So you can't really go mm-hmm. backwards here, but like it wouldn't hurt anybody if they moved forwards. You know, that's that idea. And then finally you have your major version, which is the leftmost number, which is that's the one that's supposed to be represent a fundamental change in the whole right. thing. Right. So now you combine that sort of, and this is called semantic versioning, which is shortened to to sem, semver. Semver. S e m v e r. So there's a whole there's a whole like system for how to think about this. Mm. And so now you take that idea for versioning, and now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've made enough. I made a bunch of changes. And I want to deploy them now. So you're like, cool. I'll just increment my version number according to these rules. Like, mm. are all the changes I made just like are minor small, bug fixes, or big, small? or incredibly profound? Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you change the number accordingly. That's right? what we ask ourselves every Wednesday morning. Yeah. What have Where I done we, this week? Was it small? Big or <laughs> yeah. incredible. And you, and you don't worry about versioning until you're like, mm, I, I think I want to take all the stuff that I have and get this out to QA mm-hmm. or whatever. And then at that point, because QA needs to know, 
need, they need to be able to see what things have changed. Then they need bookmarks. They need yeah. they need version numbers for that. So then you give them a list, and they're like, "Here's all the things that have changed." Yeah, and then here's they can all the go stuff. check all the things that changed, make sure they actually did change, and they didn't break anything. Yeah. And then if you want to have now, so now you can automatically convert your your the git commit messages, the stuff that's going parallel with your code that describes mm-hmm. your changes. If you now have a certain way to describe those that is machine parsable, which again, this is, comes from the the open source community, then you can have you can have things that can be automatically converted into nice looking patch notes. So now you can just you just have some way of describing it where it's just like feature parentheses, and then here's the topic and whatever, right? And we can automatically convert those. But then you can take that a step further and say, well, I want my QA team to have their own patch notes, right? That mm-hmm. are way more detailed and actually reflect more accurately what happened, right? But I want to have my players see a different set of patch notes that might even not have everything, might not have every version. Because um, they don't need to know. They don't need to see all that they stuff. They just the see higher level things, right? And and you can now take that same that same system that basically converts your raw messages into something fancy, right? And have it have a basically like a tagging system or something. So they can be like, I only want the ones that are tagged with public or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so now you get to take this whole so huge all, all this problem. means is that when you write each git commit, you just yeah. add those little extra bits. Yeah, you, so. just, you just add a little extra bit. And now you take this whole system that was really complicated where you're like, how the hell do I manage all of these different ideas and things in one go? And all of a sudden it's really simple, which is mm-hmm. you basically just program. write a git commit. You write, write your git, git commit, commit and if it's a feature, you put feet, F-E-A-T. Yeah. And then you put the category, type your message, boom. Done. Then you're done. It's done now. And if you want to be public, then maybe you add this whole idea where you're like, pub. Right or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so it's actually now very simple, and the whole idea of like versioning all this kind of stuff is now just when I'm ready to deploy, I need to increment the version. That simple. Yep. So then we just have Rumpus basically receiving a big JSON object, or just a big yep. pile of data that just has all these messages in it, which is parsed from the Git, and then messages. our and then Rumpus just converts it into something that can be easily read on mm-hmm. the website. Yep. So and all the patch it. notes are actually written in Git commits. While every patch, programming. Yeah, yeah, every sure. patch yeah. note is a git commit. Didn't used to be. It always used to be by hand. Yeah. So I would like I would I would do the changes in Trello and I would move each card into the done pile. And then when it was time to mm-hmm. make a build to send to QA, I would manually I type would go through the done pile yep. uh, and type each each change up in something that the QA team could sort of do something with. Archive that card, move on to the next one. This this could take 30, 40 minutes, mm-hmm. you know. And then make the build and send it out, and then be like, "Patch, patch is ready. Go to go to Dropbox and get it." <laughs> We've come a long way, yes. um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the recognition of if you're already committing your code to Git, then you already are describing all the things that have changed. Yep. And yep. so, so manually writing up patch notes separately from that means you're just doing the same shit twice. Yep. So don't yep. you know? Don't. So just don't. And yeah. the. And for a more uh, specific resource, this is called conventional change log. Yeah. So if you're if you're familiar with the Node and NPM ecosystem at all, for if you're doing any web dev, um, then conventional change log is the source of, of where we started from. And I basically built our own system that kind of mirrored that in a way, but that was customized for our own use because usually what you see in the in the developer, like the the open source community, is that people are making change logs for other developers. That's the purpose, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we actually have a have a three-parter. We need it for ourselves. We need it for QA. Then we need it for public consumption. Yeah. And so we had some extra requirements. And we also wanted to be able to attribute our users, 
Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so we had a little extra thing, which is if at the end of a, of a git commit, if I put at and then the person's rumpus code, yep. then they will be thanked in the patch notes. Yeah. And that's just now automatically parsed on the website. Right. Yeah. And so, so the idea here is, is it's basically building, you know, speaking of tooling, right? It's building a system where you just get to do what you were doing anyway. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the ideal version of a tool. Right. And with and some yet, minor changes, and yeah, minor happens. changes, and then magic happens on the other side. Yeah, so that's that's the little peek under the hood. There you go. Enjoy your journey down web dev yeah. road. Yeah, you know, you know, and you don't have to go all the way down that path to get nah. something like this, right? Because even if your Git logs just look pretty good, you know, because you've been as you write up your commits, you actually do a good job of explaining things. Uh, there's a jillion little tools out there for converting that into something like a markdown file or an HTML file or something. There is one thing here, which is before we started doing this, my git commits essentially looked like sort of like if you took a a dictionary and threw it into a garbage. (laughs) (laughs) With a lot of shits. Yeah. I had a lot of, a lot of profanity in my git commits. Yep. Especially if I forgot (laughs) what I did. Then it'd be like, I don't know, did some shit. Commit, yep. send. <laughs> this is not thing. useful. This is not <laughs> useful to anyone. Uh, any any new developer who comes into our studio and starts going back through the Git history would be like, I I don't know what to look for. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the advantage, too, of making these public-facing patch notes out of Git commits is it forces you to write coherent and useful Git yep. commits. Which is then always useful for developers. Yeah, so it's just good all around. Yeah. All right, next question comes from... Fraser, y'all are super focused on optimizing production, building tools, process analysis, even typing speed. And yet you managed to build a whole crash lands without most of it. How do you decide when to optimize crappy systems instead of just knuckling down and working through them? Here's a fun fact. We looked at the size of crash lands last week, relative to level head. Yeah, it's it has mm, way less of everything except for words. Yeah. Crash lands less than half as big. It has half the sprites, half of the objects, half of the scripts developed in the same amount of time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's – I mean, there you go. Yeah. That's how we did it. We just did it half as good as we could have. Yep. <laughs> half as much content. Um, we did We did build some tools though. We have a, we have a yeah. internal tool called the Crashlands Creator, which we did actually think oh about. Oh, my God. I forgot we about We thought that. about releasing we gonna, that for yeah. players, which I'm so glad we didn't. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been a mistake. Um, that was awesome. That's how I – so I built all of the – Entire narrative for the game through this web tool that Adam built, and yeah. then Seth hooked in, um, and we could make live, we could make updates to the story separate from having to patch the game, yeah. which is a huge deal. We if could, we don't do that anymore. We now we anymore. now we package them up, but um, yeah. when crashing in Crashland's case, yeah, we yeah. could. Um, and so, and I even had a visual editor for. Uh, building outposts and stuff mm-hmm. like the quest, yeah. the town so all of the stuff. bases, like all the places you see in the game, the, the important story areas, those were built in a web browser using a tool that Adam made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the game pulled them in. And, and that was also it. we invented the Inkbot for Crashlands. So that was the yep. same. Yeah, the same deal. So we actually did. Way. We were getting on the tools train. Yeah, uh, we've been doing tooling this whole time. It's just it's one of those things that you are always doing a better job now than you were. Yes, always. And and so of course you look all the way back to Crashlands, which was now four released four years ago, yep. which means we were developing it six years ago. We started developing to, yeah. it at the end of 2013. Yeah. So yeah. seven so just years over, ago. Just over six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so if you go all the way back that far, sort of like by definition, even though we were making tools and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, we just didn't have much. We didn't have it. <laughs> well, also the thing to remember with all this stuff is these are all investments, right? Because like tools build on on themselves and and your, your, your capabilities, so like even typing speed as was mentioned, right? All these things – are 
let you move forward even better and they all build on things that you've done in the past so that where we are now is now we're, we're standing on top of this mountain mm-hmm. of tools and of, and of reusable code and of, of just no new ideas and ways of doing things that we didn't know how to do before that we like, we just had to build over time. It just yeah. has to be this way. Well, I mean, there's a fascinating point here too, which is that if you don't build a tool for it, then you, the game has to completely, uh, has to be completely different. So for example, the reason why Crashlands has a narrative is because of the tool that Adam built. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you, if you recall, actually before this, we talked about it and we're like, okay, so it's going to take Adam like, it took like four weeks to build that first draft of that thing, I think. I think, I think it was a couple months of like, until it was like. We had a, yeah, we had a first draft in four weeks and we had a usable one that the game could use. And I think. Six weeks, I think. It was like two. I think it was, no, like, I think it was somewhere between two and three months. Yeah, it was, it was pretty long. It was a significant okay. investment. So it was like. No campaign at all for two yep. to three months. And yeah. so during that, before we made the decision for him to do that, and even actually while you we were starting to build it, because we didn't even know if we could do it, mm-hmm. um, we had the discussion multiple times where it was like, okay, so if we just need to launch this damn thing, what are we going to end up doing? And the, the discussion around that was like, okay, I guess like do, I don't know, make like three summonable bosses that you find, like Terraria style. Just find items and some bosses and we'll just call it a day and who cares? Um and so the reality is that the, the tools you build allow make it possible to do things for your game, of course, that you couldn't, you literally could not do in the same time yeah, because the cost was too high under the current method. Yeah, and so yeah, actually, like, so we we learned that lesson, and then it's when we started working on Level Head, um, once we were like, we need a campaign in here. Mm-hmm. Then I took a week and built a campaign editor, and that was the first thing that happened. Instead of yeah. instead of starting to try to figure out how to build a campaign outside yeah. of that. Um, yeah, we went right for building a campaign. And same thing with those presentations. So the first what, five of those are in now. And the first one was all manual, just plugged in. And then after that, we we were like, we everybody more. wants more of these, yeah. but they're such a pain in the ass to build that we're not going to make more unless it's easy to put them in. Yeah, so they can't be, each one can't be like fully custom with yep. like its own animations. Yeah. So I took, so I took four days and I built essentially something that amounts to like a micro video editor yeah. where you can, Sam can create the art for the presentations uh, plug them into the system and then he can just click to create timestamps and then put the put text, the text in, there in, and, put the words there, put the images in. And, and then he and can, then for all this stuff, this stuff just automatically plugs into the fact that we have rumpus and we have an automated mm-hmm. localization system so that, so that when we needed to have things like this campaign editor and Sam makes a campaign, makes a campaign level. The question is like, how does that, how does that get mm-hmm. into the game and the end result? Right. But we already had, cause again, like tools build on, they build on each other. Right. So we already had the systems to do exactly this. So, yep. so that piece of it then took like an hour. It was like, there was like a trivial piece of that, of that puzzle yep. because the tool already existed. Well, and, and when it comes to, for example, localizing the uh, presentations, yep. so we've, we've already got an automated localization pipeline, the tool now, already exists. which we had yeah. to develop for level head, but now we have it, which means yeah. every game going forward uh, localization is going to be a far easier yeah, yeah. problem to solve. And this is true yeah. for all of our web features, right? They just yeah. – and then and also for in-game, set that's this enormous library of code yeah. that just takes mm-hmm. care of all these little nuisance things um, that also we get to carry forward. And, and many of them were developed in the context of Levelhead. This is largely why, I mean, a, a big part of our goal as a studio is just to stay alive because the reality is that if we can, if we can actually extract – the value of making all these tools. Yeah. Cause you know, <laughs> literally level is built. It's built twice as like, there's just twice at least as much. twice as much stuff in there. If not actually more considering just all the stuff. Well, and all the, like, the amount of web stuff in this game is ludicrous compared to like yeah, all, yeah. all we did in Crashlands was sink your safe. Yeah. Like yeah. that was pretty much. And that was we, a heroic act. Yeah, and to it took to weeks and weeks to figure yeah. out, you know, and then we come to level head and now we're doing all this wacky shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I just want to keep going so we can keep on because like you just see how how a small team who keeps on working on their tools can just get faster and faster and faster. Yeah, 
Yeah, and there, there's and there's a, there's a clear and as far as the question about sort of like the balance between you know developing tools versus getting the work done. There's always a there's always a point of sacrifice. Like you need to at some point be like, okay, this sucks, but I'm just gonna have to buck just gonna buckle oh, yeah. down and do yeah. it. Yeah. There's plenty of those. Um, because you could spend two years just developing tools, then you got no game, right? And it's the kind of thing we talk about. People it's always who, about leverage. Yeah, people who want to build their own game engine. Yes. And we always we always discourage that because, like, you know, first thing you need is games. Like, you need games mm-hmm. to build up an audience to to sell your future games to, and and that's where your momentum comes from. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't know if there's like a hard and fast, easy answer to saying when you should build a tool. And when you should just work. Yeah, on I mean, there game. can't be, but it's but it is it's a it's always a question of leverage, and the, and the question you got always ask is is basically how hard is it going to be to make the tool? How hard mm-hmm. is it to do the thing without the tool? Yep. And how, how likely times? is it that I get to reuse this tool? Yeah. Right. So those, those are kind of the three parts. Um, well, and the fourth one being how many times am I going to? Would I need to do this anyway? Yeah. Right. right. So like how so how much potential savings right. is there from doing this, or is there is there if I complete sort of the MVP, you know, the minimum viable product of this tool? And it'll help me a bit, a bit now. Is it something I get to build on in the future? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more of those questions you get to answer are like, oh, yes, this is going to like save me time already. And you're like, the, the more of that you're going to get, um, the more likely it is that it's a good idea to, mm-hmm. to spend the time and build the tool. Yeah. And it's all about just what capabilities do you want? So like if, if, for example, bringing Levelhead to a global audience was not part of our plan, then it would make no sense for us mm-hmm. to spend time developing localization tooling. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you're like, oh, we already know that we want to go like have a Chinese version, for example. Well, you, you got to do it once. You well, might this, as well and this is what happened. This, this is the problem else. with Crashlands is actually yeah. we, yeah. we localized Crashlands into Chinese and then none of that was automated. Yeah. yeah. It was a fully manual process and it was it took months of mm-hmm. work to, to get that whole thing put together. Um, and when we started working on Levelhead, we were like, okay, we, we want to actually make a global, a globally available game. How do we do that? Well, we have to localize it. Okay. Well, let's look back on how that happened last time. And not oh, do that. Shit, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, uh-huh. and because the, the answer should always be like, if it should feel no different for us to add one language than to add 20 languages, yes. except for like hitting our bank account. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> In terms of paying people. A person, to, yeah, a person has to do paying that people work, to translate actually. it. But, yep. um, and so, so we came at it this second time around with that mindset because we'd seen just how hard and expensive yeah. it was to do it by hand the first time. So, yeah. um, so there, there's a lot of like weird considerations kind of mixed in there, but yeah. It's always yeah. about leverage. Though. And there, they're just things that if you just learn a little bit about some stuff, like, cause the, the whole idea of the MVP, you know, the minimum viable product applies to tools also. If you just know, if you know just a little bit of a thing, you can get a lot of mileage actually out of just very mm-hmm. simple scripts. You don't you don't have to actually invest, you know, an entire week or an entire three months or whatever to build a really elaborate tool to make your life easier. Um, when you uh, ideally you shouldn't. Ideally you, you shouldn't. Just, the, the goal should always be first. It's like, can I use a spreadsheet? I always advocate minimum though, viable product. Yeah, I always and I always advocate anybody who ever has to deal with text ever, which I think is most people like learn some basic regex. Almost nobody actually does it, but I recommend it all the mm-hmm. time because. The amount of time savings that you get in the long haul from some from some very basic knowledge about this stuff is actually well, enormous. Well, either get Notepad plus plus or ideally VS Code yeah, VS as code. your text editor, and then once you know Regex, then you can do just just all kinds of crazy stuff mm-hmm. with any text. So much easier to find mm-hmm. things, it becomes so much easier to change things. Uh, yeah, things. It's just it's just. It's one of those tools that like nobody really wants to learn. Everybody's like, well, I can't see how this would be useful. And then once you know it, you're like, oh my God, I just this is I always use this that, every day. This is that, that yeah. 
you're learning the Pythagorean theorem in eighth grade, and you're like, I literally could never imagine a scenario <laughs> where I need to know the length of a side of a triangle, right? And now here I am every fucking day <laughs> figuring out the length of sides of triangles. Uh-huh. Um, cause it turns out the world is made out of triangles, yep, yep. especially the digital world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you never know. And, and, and once you have the thing, then you can, you just start applying it to literally everything. Right. And so, yeah, yeah regex, it's all about leverage, learn lots of small stuff and, uh, and then start with, start with small tools, make small scripts, do, and do small physical changes to your environment and just iterate on them. Yep. All right. Final question of the day comes from bearded fists. Bearded Fists. Yeah. Who okay. says, hey, guys, this question is deep. About five kilometers to be exact. Ooh. It's pretty – is that pretty – that seems pretty deep. It's, it's pretty deep-ish. Deep yeah. I mean the earth is a lot deeper than that. So yeah. it's kind of a relative question. Mm-hmm. But the ocean isn't much deeper than that. That's true. So – But the ocean is pretty fucking deep. It's pretty fucking deep. How deep is Mariana Trench? Isn't it's it like, like six, six kilometers? Yeah, it's six, like six miles. miles. Ooh, that's a lot more. Than but the earth is 12,000 kilometers in diameter. So if you go five kilometers, it's twenty-two thousand miles round. Right, yes. <laughs> something like that. They're just throwing facts. Yeah, yeah. throw fact. I don't know if these are. Rain. I don't know if these are real. But <laughs> I think it, it might be twenty-two thousand miles because if it's twelve thousand kilometers across, it's twenty-two thousand miles across, right? Yeah, right. or in or circumference. In circumference. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right, but how much so, volume? So is? <laughs> now here's the crazy part. So if the Earth is five five thousand or so twelve thousand kilometers in diameter. If you go five kilometers deep, you have done nothing. Yeah. You have done nothing at all compared to – like you're nowhere. Yeah. That's you haven't even made a dent. But it's probably real hot now. When I was working on on my absolute units game, I started working on making Mm. Earth because the spaceship – so basically the idea was like one pixel is one meter, right? So the ship is 65 uh, pixels because it's like a Mm 65-meter long spaceship. I was like, I'm going to put the earth in here. So I look it up and I'm like, oh, fuck. That's a lot of pixels. Because that means the earth is 12 million pixels across, which, by the way, is real big. Because <laughs> your screen is – I found out that it was like 44,000 HD yeah. 16 by 9 monitors across. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's big. Uh-huh. Uh, there actually is somewhere out there that somebody made a uh, a website where you basically just you just scroll right. It actually auto scrolls, but it takes fucking forever. Oh, the scale oh, yeah. of the universe, the scale one? of the universe yeah, one. Yeah, that's great. Where it starts, or not the universe, just the solar system, because the universe. Mm, would do okay. that. So the solar system, you're just like you're just moving across. And it starts with, but it's all to scale, and so you start out with the sun, and it's like I don't know, it's like a half dollar sized kind of kind of thing, and then you move over, and the idea is like you want to see just how far away things are. And it is wild. Ah, it is it wild. Time, yeah how far apart that shit is mm-hmm. to keep it at scale. It's so. crazy how big everything is and how much even bigger the space is in between those things. Yeah. Horrifying. Anyways, uh, depth depth horrifying. So the question <laughs> from Bearded Fists is, as a business, there are goals and objectives that drive tangible outcomes like revenue and customer satisfaction. How do you handle the pressure of meeting these goals while also enjoying the work that you do? I find that this pressure makes it hard to enjoy the process and can sometimes make me feel resentful. Mm. All right, so here's First, revenue is not a goal. Yeah, this is an this is an interesting point of contention that um, that I I think all three of us probably agree mm-hmm. on, which is uh, revenue is an outcome of you meeting your goals, and you literally can't predict it. Mm-hmm. Right? If you could, then you, that you would just be yep. 
you'd be like, all right, this this week, I'm just going to go ahead and make $10 million because you know what? I'm tired of not having $10 million. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a wild, yeah, it's a wild thing yeah. to do to have a revenue My goal target. for this week, boom, $10 million. I'm going to be 10 The point is that setting a revenue target does not actually assist you in getting to that revenue target. Correct. Right. Right. Fun. But, I mean, it can be useful if you're like, we, like I, what would it take, this is an interesting question, what would it take for us to double our revenue next year? Like, what, what would have to happen, right? Because then you get a project. Yeah, or even what would have to happen to, to like, to make $10 million. To make $10 million, right? yeah. yeah. It it's the same. Do we the same? We were talking about this for, for which, by New the way, Year's, is right? a lot more than double our revenue. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this at New Year's, right? Which is mm-hmm. the difference between saying like my goal is to is to lose twenty pounds, right? Versus saying, okay, I want to lose twenty pounds. Correct. So my goal to get there is to exercise every day, join this exercise program, mm-hmm. or start paying for it now, mm-hmm. like whatever it is to actually have these concrete things. The end result of which actually can't possibly be definitely that you lose twenty pounds. That's right. not. Those things are too You'll, disconnected. You're going to do right? those things and, and you might have may done or the, may not. You might have done the math time. wrong. Mm-hmm. You might have snuck in an extra couple of dozen donuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Every other Sunday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so you have to understand that like the, that the things that you do are disconnected from those. I mean, they're, they're obviously directly. They're all con- yeah. They're all connected, but they're, it's, it's a nebulous thing. Yeah. Well, right. well, but you, also. It's not a one-to-one. And, of, and of course, the, the outcome that you're measuring so weight loss is actually a bit more tangible because you do get to decide yeah, what food true. goes into your body. Yeah. And that is largely the determining factor yeah, that's of, true. because you, you know, as many as some people may like to think so, you do not defy the laws of thermodynamics and you are not creating matter from nothing inside your body. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. put it there. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you change what you're putting there, then you're good, right? Uh, so, so when it comes to something like a revenue target – you get to decide what you're going to do, but the rest of the world may have other problems. Yeah, well, I guess the fascinating thing about it is that, is that your success, your professional success and your financial success is is determined by other people. Yeah, right? not by So you. it's not by you. And so I think it's really important, especially when you're when you're a small business owner, because, of course, when you have – if it's just you working for like a boss or something, that's still true. But to a, what feels like a much lesser degree than when you're dealing with like a you know a thousand customers or something like that, you need you need all thousand of them to pay you money. Otherwise, you don't like make it to next year, right? Um, and so it's it's a really weird understanding to come to, which is that the the success that you have is given to you by others only. That's the only way to get it. Which means it's really hard to have success be your goal because you have zero control over making other people give you stuff. Aside from, of course, just building. Well, I, I would say you have you have influence, but you don't have yes. control, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you can't, you can't do a one to one like, oh, I'm going to go do this, and it's yeah, going to work perfectly. Yeah. So you know, Tesla reveals their weird uh, triangle wagon. That's what go, right? And the yeah. and it's it's crazy because the reaction is people are like, what in the fuck <laughs> is this weird triangle wagon? triangle wagon? Then over time, people are like. I kind of like this. <laughs> and now Tesla's stock price is like three times higher than it was six months ago. Right. Because people are like, Oh, the fucking triangle wagon's coming. <laughs> yep. Here we go. So, so the thing is you can't know. Yeah. Um, and this was, this was something that was maybe thought to be a terrible idea by some thought to be a great idea by others. I guarantee you it was thought to be a terrible idea. At least at design. Definitely. Yeah. Some people had some reservations God, uh, yes. internally and externally. Um, and so, so if they said like our goal is to sell X number of triangle wagons, mm-hmm. uh, which oh, I'm going to start calling <laughs> the cyber truck, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. how would they do it? 
Yeah, like, you can't. It's not a thing. Yeah, that's not a thing. You get, to, you, yeah, get, so, you get to create the triangle wagon, and then other people get to decide how many triangle right, wagons. But there's, they there's, want. there's all the there's all the things you can do between those two things. Yeah, right? then so you one market is, the things you do. Maybe not. Don't make it a fucking triangle, right? So that's one yeah. option. Uh, maybe that might help sell some units. Um, do all sorts of other things. Well, whether it's you know put a million dollars into the marketing thing during the Super Bowl or some shit. Um, there's make also have, again, again, have bulletproof windows for yeah, again. You can yeah. influence things, but you can't decide. But so as far as the question goes, the question about, you know, how do you handle the fact that the things you are doing are, and you might have these revenue targets or whatever your targets are. Because the truth is, like, we still have targets in mind. We're still trying to do certain things, right? Um, how do you handle the fact that that you are the one who is basically creating or not that value at the end of the day? Like you, and, and sometimes it's not there, right? Yeah. And things we well, get it's, this. It's, it's, these goals kind of create pressure. They do, yeah. And how do you how do you enjoy the work while being under that kind of pressure? Yeah. yeah, and I think part of it is you have to one of it one thing is just to be able to be able to focus on the good of the thing you are doing right now based on what you believe to be the good thing. What I mean by that is like you're not going to start working on something because you think you're making a piece of shit. You're not going to like make a change to the. You're not going to be like, yes, this change <laughs> going to break everything, and piss everyone off, creating like, garbage. In. Like no one actually does that. Um, Except for maybe AT and T. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just like it's not. Maybe there might be some company. So, um, but yeah. So I think there's. there's I've had good service for now. For now. <laughs> we'll see. So there's there's. It's very <laughs> unlikely that someone's trying to like make something bad, right? And so I think you have to, while you're working on it, focus on on that, and you know you have to take basically, uh, I don't know, take some, just in, enjoy the fact that you feel like you're doing the correct thing right now, and like from our experience, you know, we put out a patch, and we might improve. Dozens of things about level head, but every time, the, like people just have more things to complain about now, right? Yeah, and it's just it's fun. <laughs> like it's just we've gotten used to it now being in early access. It's been fascinating. Um, but the fact is, like whenever we whenever we make something new for people, the immediate response is is uh, you know what's what's next or why doesn't it have this thing or whatever else. And so, I mean, I don't know how we've gotten used to it over time, but like we're under a tremendous amount of pressure. Well, it's, to all, it's also done. a framing thing. I think that's it's a little bit tangential, but you know. Uh, the assumption is like when we make something and people are like, ooh, what about blah? Like, you know, it started immediately suggesting changes. It's because it's because they liked what they got. Yeah. You know, and they're excited enough about it that they're now starting to imagine yes. what, if it was even better. Right. Um, and so there's that kind of fine line between a suggestion and a complaint, you know, yep. but, yeah. it, but it all depends on in the eye of the beholder how you want to receive it. Uh, but I, I think when it comes to this idea of, of pressure being created by things, and it's something that we just, I mean, talk about. Today, yeah. um, as part of our, our production, yeah, we're, we're basically under deadline pressure. Yeah, um, and and it does it does create stressors, uh, and I think it, it kind of forces you to reevaluate like whether you work on the right thing and whether you need to be cutting things. Essentially, what it does is it is it doesn't allow you to just do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes you do what you have to do in order to to meet that deadline. Um, and so I think for me personally, there's like an extra layer of, of framing to that, which is for me, like the most important thing is that this game uh, gets seen and played by a lot of people mm -hmm. and that they really enjoy it, right? And I know that if left to my own devices, that would actually never happen because you I let would the game out. just keep working yep, on it. Yep. I would never, it would never be ready for launch. And that's going to be true when it launches. It's just not going to be ready mm -hmm. by my standards. Right. Um but that's it's still better to get it out and and 
have it actually meet those uh, those goals of just like getting it out into mm-hmm. players' hands. So yeah, it's you, stressful, but also like it's better. Well, I think it's well. It's, this is different because this is accepting things as constraints, right? Because we're all because because he, here, like the thing that we're trying to do is we're saying because of the business relationships that we formed and because of what the game is and, and how we're trying to get it to all these players, um, there's going to, there just is a deadline now of like mm-hmm. when this thing has to be done. And that's now a design constraint that we're working yep. within, which is, which is a different thing than having like a stressor because we're trying to say, like say we're, say our target was we're like, okay, we have to get 10 million players. Mm-hmm. And that was our goal, right? Yeah. That's a, that's wild. Yeah. That's, that's now <laughs> like, how do we, because that's very possibly do that? Well, that's very stressful because like no, no action you can take right now is going to yeah. directly cause that to happen versus being like, okay, we need to be able to have this game out by by X date. What does the roadmap have to look like for us to pull yeah. this off? So here's here's the next step that I can take to actually make that happen, right? Directly. Yeah. Um, and I think so so we don't so we'll say things like our goal, like what, what like we want our, this game to be played by as many people as possible. We want this game to make as much revenue as possible, obviously, mm-hmm. because we want the we want to survive as a studio and be able to make the next title, right? But those those things are things that we don't directly control, but they do inform our actions, yes. right? So, so if our goal was to have the best game possible, we would never launch it, as <laughs> said, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we would meet the goal, and we would meet the goal. <laughs> uh, if, if, but our goal is not to do that. Our goal is to have is to is to meet the market. With yeah. with a game that will allow us to survive as a business, right? Yeah, that makes us feel proud that we made that thing, and that that was that, fun to make. That was fun to make, and that brings in as many new players as as we as we can into the studio as a consequence of that game. And so that informs our business relationships. Mm-hmm. That informs what what uh, deals we're willing to take. That informs how aggressively we're going to uh, to negotiate those deals. Mm-hmm. That informs if we're going to do ad spend. It informs all of those things. Um, but not because we think those things – not because that's the goal. Like the goal isn't a specific thing, right? Because well, so if that was it, like I would be stressed all the time if our goal was to get 10 million, 10 million users or $10 yeah. million in revenue and I have no control over that. Yeah, yeah I think that's, so, the, that's the stress. That's, that's stress. Stress. Well, I think this is the point here is, is it's really about asking the question specifically about what what is it a, that you're doing that you can actually track and have control over mm-hmm. to move yourself toward the possibility of having – more users or more revenue or whatever else. So we do this. I mean, even the, all the new player experience stuff we're doing is actually yeah. about having more users at the end of the day, yep. uh, which ends up being about having more money at the end of the day, right? Because the whole idea is that if someone comes into Levelhead, they should stick to it and they should tell their friends about it. We need to make that whole thing better. Yeah. Um, but so their intro to the game can't be wonky and – Exactly. So our, but our goal – or whatever. So our, our high-level goal, of course, is to have a lot of players. But the actual thing we can do to affect that, to influence that – is to decide to spend a lot of time on the new player experience, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm wondering if that's maybe what this person needs to do is just like, what, so you have these revenue targets, but what what are actually the things that you could be doing that would push you toward those revenue? Don't worry about the actual number, but like- Because you can't. You know, okay, this can't. is interesting though, because we've never set revenue targets. No. Instead, we do scenario planning. Yeah. Which is actually in a lot of ways the same as fear setting. Yeah. Right. So the idea with the scenario plan, this, this is what we did when we launched, before we launched Crashlands, we sat down, I think it was like six weeks before launch or something. Mm-hmm. We sat down and the three of us were like, okay, what, what are the ranges of income from this game mm-hmm. that would change things? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we said like, okay, this game makes, at that time, our threshold was like, was it under $40,000 Yep. Uh, for three people for two years of work? We're like, that's it. We're Packing just, up. we're just, pa- yeah. we're just, pa- hanging up our game dev hats and moving on to something else because 
Clearly not sustainable. Clearly we are miss we're just mm. missing something. Um and then we had another range where it was like, okay, we can back pay ourselves for the all the work that we did. And then there's another range where it's we start to develop a cushion of runway. And then there's another range, which is we can start to look into hiring people mm-hmm. and expanding the team. And so so instead of saying like, here is our target, and if we don't meet it, then, then that's everything is ruined, it was yeah. more like, here's a ra- here are brackets of possibility. And here would be our course of action at each phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually was super helpful yeah. because – because now we get to control what we're going to do, which is no matter what our target is, we're going to do the best that we can to launch the game yeah. as best as we can. Right. Yep. And then something's going to happen, which is largely dictated by things that we Everybody don't control else. anymore. Yeah. Right. Well, those, those targets can be used to inform your priorities, but then you're actually – the priority itself is like is it has to be a tangible thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. So in our case, we do have – we do have these goals, like having as many players as possible, making as much revenue as possible. That defines our priorities given that we have to launch this game within a certain amount of time, right? And because we can only do so much. And so now we know what those priorities are. And now every piece of work that we do, we can now fit into this priority mm-hmm. system. Yeah. We know we're doing important stuff. We know we're getting us as far as we can tell as like close as possible to this sort of nebulous goal of getting as much as many players as possible, right? Um but it's with it's through direct action. Mm-hmm. That's like a one to one relationship. It's like we believe that if we do this, the output is more. But it can't be specific. Like yeah. it can't yeah. be a specific number because that's not. Yeah. Updating the login flow will get us thirty eight thousand two hundred more yeah. players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I like, don't know. Exactly. That's, that's, it's a ludicrous. It's like when you actually put it into some concrete terms like that, it's ludicrous. Like yeah. nobody would ever sit down and be like, okay, yeah, if this person. Does this little piece of work right here that's nice. going to net us another yeah, I mean, million dollars? Revenue targets, all these things are these are things you should check in on rarely yeah. to make sure that your priorities are in order. But they're not they're not the thing that actually need to be at the forefront. What needs to be at the forefront is the projects that you've derived from these high level goals you set. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and, well, that's, that's, and that's where that's where that perspective of uh, of what money is for. Mm-hmm. Right. So so if if you're basically saying like if we if we make below X dollars, then we're we have we're to close done, the shop. Yeah. Right. That's uh is bad yeah. if you get below that point. So you need to aggressively align your goals so that it's as unlikely as possible that you do yeah. that badly. But there's an interesting thing about revenue, which is by itself it means nothing. Yeah. Because if Google made ten million dollars of revenue last year, they'd be fucked. Right. <laughs> but if we did I'd be, I'd be pretty pumped great. about it because yeah. revenue is only half of the business equation because the other half is your costs, right? Yeah. Uh, which you do uh, get to control in a lot of ways. And so there's – it's – you know, if you if you do miss a revenue target, there are other things that you could potentially do to still be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of other angles to that as well, which I, I always wonder why businesses focus on revenue um, as the thing to – sort of like aim for. I know it's like an, it's a result of end user sales, but what are you going to do with it? Yep. You know, if you're spending every dollar you get on just random administrative expenses, then it doesn't matter how much money you got because you ended up with nothing, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So if you scale to match your revenue. All to then, say, I guess we just have more questions uh, for this person than, <laughs> right. than answers. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard, but try to try to focus on the things that you can control. That's it. Yep. There you yep. go. Yeah. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.